Hello, and welcome back to the Numlock Sunday edition. I'm Walt Hickey. This week, I'm talking to Karen Howe. She's a senior editor for AI at the MIT Technology Review, and we're talking about her story, How Facebook Got Addicted to Misinformation. Karen covers artificial intelligence, so we're going to cover how the company started folding AI algorithms into its product and how that started getting them into trouble. Hope you enjoy it. I want to welcome Karen Howe, the senior editor for AI at MIT Technology Review. Karen, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Thank you so much for having me, Walt. Thank you for coming on. You wrote this really outstanding story uh, quite recently called How Facebook Got Addicted to Spreading Misinformation. It's a really cool profile of a team within Facebook that works on AI problems and ostensibly was working towards an AI solution. But as you get into the piece, it's, it's really complicated. What I guess we talk a lot about algorithms. Do you want to go into what algorithms are in the context of Facebook? Yeah. Wow. What a question to start with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So in the public conversation, when people say that Facebook uses AI, I think most people are thinking, oh, they use AI to target users with ads. Um, and that is 100% true. But there's also thousands, Facebook is also running thousands of AI algorithms concurrently, not just the ones that they use to target you with ads. Um, They also have like facial recognition algorithms that are recognizing your friends and your photos. They also have um, language translation algorithms that are the ones when like someone posts something in a different language, there's that little option to say translate into English or whatever language you speak. Um, They also have newsfeed ranking algorithms, which are ordering what you see in newsfeed and other recommendation algorithms that are telling you, hey, you might like this page or you might want to join this group. Um, So there's just like a lot of algorithms that are being used on Facebook's platform in a variety of different ways. But essentially, every single thing that you do on Facebook is somehow supported um, in part by algorithms. Yeah, you wrote, again, like they have thousands of models running concurrently. But the thing that you also highlighted, and, and one reason that this team was was kind of thrown together, was that, you know, almost none of them have been vetted for bias. Yes. So most of them um, have not been vetted for bias. And with uh, in, in terms of what like algorithmic bias is, it's um, this field of study that has recognized that when algorithms learn from historical data... Um, They will often perpetuate the inequities that are present in that historical data. So Facebook is currently under a lawsuit from the Housing and Urban Development Agency where where HUD alleges that Facebook's ad targeting algorithms are showing different people different housing opportunities based on their race, um, which is illegal. Um, So like white people more often see houses for sale, whereas like minority users more often see houses for rent. Um, And it's because the algorithms are kind of like learning from this historical data. Um, But what's interesting with this responsible AI team is like responsible. So Facebook has a team called responsible AI, but there's also a field of research that's called responsible AI um, that's all about understanding, like, how do algorithms impact society and how can we redesign them 
um, from the beginning to make sure that they don't have harmful unintended consequences. Um, and so this team, like when they spun up, they were like, none of these algorithms have been um, audited for bias. So, and, and that is like an unintended consequence that can happen, that can legitimately harm people. So we are going to create this team and like study this issue. Um, but what's interesting and what my main critique is in the piece is like, there are a lot of things that Facebook's algorithms, there are a lot of harms, unintended harms that Facebook's algorithms have perpetuated over the years, not just bias. Um, and it's, very interesting why they specifically chose to just focus on bias and not other things like misinformation amplification or polarization exacerbation or um, the fact that their algorithms have been weaponized by foreign actors uh, to disrupt our democracy. So um, that's kind of like the main thrust of the piece is that Facebook has all of these algorithms and it's trying supposedly to fix them um, in ways that mitigate their unintended harmful consequences, but it's going about it in um, a, a a rather narrow-minded way. Yeah, it definitely seems to be a situation in which they're trying to address one problem and then alluding to a much larger problem in that. The Can you talk a little bit about, like, again, one of the issues that they have is that there's this metric that you write about called L67, is that right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Basically, how does their their you know desire for engagement, or more specifically, not ever undermining engagement, kind of kneecap some of these efforts? Yeah. So Facebook um, used to have this metric called L67. I'm actually not sure if it's used anymore, but the same principle holds true that um, it has all of these business metrics that are meant to measure engagement on the platform, and that is sort of what it incentivizes its teams to work towards. Um, so, so now I know for a fact that some of these, um, engagement metrics are like the number of likes that are, um, that, that users are, um, hitting on the platform or the number of shares or the number of comments. Um, those are kind of like all monitored. And there was this, uh, engineering, former engineering manager at Facebook who had actually tweeted about his experience saying that, um, his team was sort of on call. Um, every few days they would get an alert from the Facebook system saying like comments are down or likes are down. And then like his team would then be deployed to like figure out what made it go down so that they could fix it. Um, So like all of these teams are sort of oriented around this, this particular like engagement maximization, which is ultimately driven by Facebook's desire to grow as a company. And um, What's interesting is uh, I realized through the course of my reporting that this like desire for growth is kind of what dictates what Facebook is willing to do in terms of like its efforts around social good. Um, So in the case of AI bias, the reason why it is useful for them to be working on AI bias is actually um, for two reasons. One is they're already under fire for this legally. Um, They're already being sued by the government. Um, but two, there they were also um, when this team, this responsible AI team was created, it was in the context of big tech being under fire already from the Republican led government about um, it allegedly having anti-conservative bias. Mm. Um, and 
this was like a conversation that began in 2016 as um, the presidential campaign was ramping up, but then it really picked up its volume in 2018 in the lead up to the midterm elections. And um, about like a week after Trump had tweeted hashtag stop the bias in reference to this particular allegation towards big tech, Mark Zuckerberg called a meeting with the head of the responsible AI team and was like, I need to know what you know about AI bias, and I need to know how we're going to get rid of it in our content moderation algorithms. And um, I'm not sure if they explicitly talked about the hashtag stop the bias stuff, but like this, this is sort of like the context um, in which all of these efforts were sort of ramping up. And my understanding is Facebook wanted to invest in AI bias so that they could sort of definitively say, okay, our algorithms do not have anti-conservative bias when they're moderating content um, on the platform and as a, as a, um, use that as a way to like keep regulation at bay um, from like a re- Republican-led government. On the flip side, um, they didn't pursue many of these other things that you would think would fall under the responsible AI jurisdiction, like the fact that their algorithms have been shown to amplify misinformation. Um, And during a global pandemic, that is like, we now understand that that is like, that can be life and death. Like people are getting like COVID misinformation or people were getting election misinformation that then led to the US Capitol riots. Um, They didn't focus on these things because that would require Facebook to fundamentally change the way that it recommends content on the platform. And it would fundamentally require them to move away from an engagement centric model. So it, in other words, would negatively impact its growth. It would hinder Facebook's growth. Um, And that's what I think is the reason why they didn't do that. Yeah. It seems like you, you kind of, the story is in many parts, right? But like the one part that's interesting is like Facebook is not instantaneously drawn to AI. Like when the Facebook was made, it didn't involve AI. AI is kind of a solution to another suite of problems that it had in terms of how do you moderate a social network with bil- with like billions of people, an order of magnitude larger than anyone has ever moderated before, I suppose. Sort of, actually. It's interesting. So Facebook, at the time that Facebook started, AI was not really a thing. So AI is like a very recent thing where it's only happened in like, like it, it, it like really started to show value for companies in 2014. So it's actually like really young as a technology. And obviously Facebook started way before 2014. Um, so at the time they adopted AI um in the like late 2013, early 2014, because they had this sense that um, Facebook is, is it was scaling really rapidly. There was like all this type, all of this content on the platform, um, images, videos, like posts, um, ads, like all this stuff. And um, AI, like as a, as an academic research field was just starting to see results in the way that like AI could recognize images and it could potentially uh, one day recognize videos and recognize text and whatever. And the CTO um, of the company was like, Hey, this technology seems like it would be useful for us in general because we are an information rich company and AI is on a trajectory to being really good at processing information. 
Um, but then also what happened at like the same time was there were people within the company as well that started realizing that AI was really great at targeting users, it like learning mm. users' preferences and then targeting them, um, whether it was targeting them with ads or targeting them with groups that they like or pages that they like, um, or 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 like targeting them with the posts um, from the friends that they like the most. <laughs> like, also, <laughs> so it, it, they they very quickly started to realize that AI is great for maximizing engagement on the platform, um, which was like a, a goal that Facebook had even before they adopted AI. But they but AI just became a powerful tool for achieving that goal. Um, and that's kind of like both both of those things, like the fact that AI could could help process all of this information on Facebook and the fact that it could really ramp up user engagement on the platform collided and Facebook decided we're going to heavily invest in this technology. Yeah, that really. So there's another stat in your article that really just was fascinating to see laid out. You wrote about how like there's 200 traits that Facebook knows about its users, give or take. Uh, And a lot of those are estimated. And that's why the thing that's interesting about that is like, I feel like I've told Facebook fairly limited amount of information about myself in the past couple (laughs) of years. And like, like unambiguously directly told them like, yes, this is my birthday. This is where I live now. This is where I went to college. And then from that and from their algorithms and from obviously their myriad cookie tech, they've built this out into a suite of 200 traits that you wrote about. So mm-hmm. how did AI factor in on that? And how does that kind of lead into this idea of fairness that you get out in the piece? Yeah, totally. Um, the 200 traits are all, all about, um, they're, they're both estimated by AI models and they're also used to feed AI models. Um, so, um, you know, like it is illegal um, for companies to actually ask for race data or I, actually I'm not sure if it's illegal, but it's like, it's like dicey, <laughs> it's dicey, dicey. territory to ask for race data. Um, and that's, you know, like when you go to a bank, um, that's part of the reason why they, mm. they'll never ask you race data because they, they, they can't decide banking decisions based on your race. Um, so with Facebook, that's the same, but they do, they do have the capability to estimate your race by <laughs> taking a lot of different factors that are like that, that could highly correlate with certain races. Like um, they can, they'll, they'll say like, if you are college educated and you love travel, like you like pages about traveling, um, and you've like engaged a lot with like videos of guys playing guitar and you're male and you're like within this age and you live in this town, you are most likely white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was about to say that you are a big fan of the band fish. And then we're kind of getting the same, we're kind of barking up the same tree here, I suspect. Yeah. So they'll, so they can do that. Like, because they have so much data on, on all the different things that we've interacted with on the platform. Um, And they can estimate things like your, political affiliation, like you're engaging with, you know, friends posts that are specifically pro Bernie or whatever. So like you are most likely, um, on the left of the, of the political spectrum in the U S or they can estimate things like, um, I don't know, your like just random interests that you might have, um, like Mm -hmm. 
maybe they figure out that you really like healthy eating and then they can use that to target you with ads about new vegan subscriptions, um, whatever it is. So yeah, they, they, they use all of these, these AI models to kind of like figure out these, these traits. Um, and then those traits are then used to kind of measure, um, how, how different demographics on Facebook, how different user groups engage with different types of content in aggregate. Um, and the way that this ties to fairness and then ties to this broader conversation around misinformation is um, Facebook. So this responsible AI team was like really working on building these tools to make sure that their algorithms were more fair and make sure that um, they won't be doing uh, won't be accidentally discriminating against users, such as in the HUD lawsuit case um, by, by creating these tools to allow engineers to measure once they've trained up this AI model. Okay, now let's like subdivide these users into different groups that we care about, usually based Mm -hmm. on protected class, um, based off of these like traits that we've estimated about them, and then see whether or not these algorithms impact one group more than another. So it kind of allows them a chance to stress test algorithms that are in development against what it hypothetically would do? Exactly. Sick. Um, the issue is that even before this tool existed, there was the policy team, which is which sits separately from the responsible AI team. They were already evoking this idea of anti-conservative bias and this idea of fairness to kind of undermine misinformation efforts. Mm. So they would say, oh, you know, this anti-vax, this, this like, AI model that's designed to detect anti-vax information and limit the distribution of anti-vax misinformation, um, that model, we shouldn't deploy it because we've run some tests and we see that it seems to impact conservative users more than liberal users and that discriminates against conservatives. So unless you can create this model to make sure it doesn't impact conservative and liberal users differently, then you can't deploy it. And there was a former researcher that I spoke to who worked on this model, who had that those those conversations, um, who was then told to edit the model in a way that basically made the model completely meaningless. Um, and this was before the pandemic, but what he said to me was like, "This, I mean, this is anti-vax misinformation. Mm-hmm. Like if we had been able to deploy that model at full efficacy, then like it would have been, it could be quickly repurposed to anti-vax COVID misinformation. But now we're seeing that um, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy around getting these COVID vaccines. And it like there there were things that basically the policy team actively did in the past that led to this issue not being addressed with full effectiveness. Yeah. So you talk about this in the piece where like, instead of fairness kind of typifying, we shouldn't have misinformation on the platform, period. It's like, well, if there's something that could happen that would disproportionately affect one side or the other, we can't do it. Even if one side, like, let's say like, I'm making this up, but let's say that liberals were 80% of the people who believed in UFOs. 
And if we had a policy that would roll out a, a ban on UFO content and it would disproportionately affect liberals, then that is that, that would be stymied by this team. So the the ex- yes and no. So the responsible AI team. What's really interesting is they sent me some documentation of like their work, and one one of the documents that they sent me was sort of a case study to. So so the responsible AI team. There's they create these tools to help these engineers measure bias in their models, but they also create a lot of educational materials to teach people how to use them. Um, and one of the challenges of doing AI bias work is that fairness can mean like many, many different things. You can interpret it to mean many different things. So they have this specific case study about um, misinformation and like political bias where they're like, if a if like um, conservatives posted more misinformation than liberals, then like fairness does not mean that this model should impact these two groups equally. And similarly, mm-hmm. if liberals posted more misinformation than conservatives, fairness does not mean like fairness means that each piece of content is treated equally. And therefore the model would, um, would uh, by, by virtue of treating each piece of content equally impact liberals more than conservatives. Um, but like, the these these all of these terms are like really spongy like you can like fairness you can interpret it in like so many different ways and so then the policy team was like well we think fairness means that conservatives and liberals cannot be treated differently and that was what they were using to dismiss weaken completely stop a lot of different efforts to try and tamp down misinformation and extremism on the platform. And so kind of where are we at moving forward? It seems like, you know, you had kind of alluded to AI being really central to Facebook's policy and, and this team being, you know, even physically was was close to Mark Zuckerberg's desk. Where are we at moving forward now? Is there is there a chance that the that the policy team will lose sway here or or is there a chance that this is just kind of you know, it was what it was. I think what I learned from this piece is that there's just like a huge incentive misalignment problem at Facebook, where as much as they publicly tell us, we're going to fix these problems, we're going to fix these problems, they don't actually change their business incentives in a way that would allow any of the efforts trying to fix these problems to succeed. And like, so like, AI fairness sounds great, but AI fairness in service of business growth can be perverted. Yeah. And if you, if like the company is unwilling to change those incentive structures such that truly responsible AI efforts can succeed, then we are not going to, the the problems are just going to keep getting worse. Um, And the other thing that I realized is we should not be waiting around anymore for Facebook to be doing this stuff because they promised after the Cambridge Analytica scandal three years ago that they were going to fix all these things. And the responsible AI team was literally created like a couple weeks after the Cambridge Analytica scandal as a response to a lot of the allegations that Facebook was facing then about their algorithms harming democracy, harming society. Um and in three years, they've just made the problem worse. Like they just, we went from the Cambridge Analytica scandal to the U.S. Capitol riots. So like what I kind of learned was like, it has to come, the the, the way that the incentive structures change moving forward will have to come from the outside. 
Yeah, because it is also bigger than just the states. Like you, you alluded in your piece to some of like the uh, the genocide in Myanmar, and like there, there there are much bigger stakes than just elections in in a in a developed democracy. Yeah, and that was one of the other things that I didn't really spend as much time talking in my piece about. But it is, I think, pretty awful that there are you know Facebook's some of Facebook's misinformation efforts, which impact its global user population, are being kind of filtered based off of us interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that is not, um, that's just, is not in like the best interest of like the world's population. Yeah. I think that that's a great kind of note to, to end on. Um, Karen, where can people find your work? You write about this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, and you are the senior editor for AI at MIT technology review. So, so where can folks get a hold of you and, and find out more about this? Um, they can follow me on Twitter at underscore Karen Howe. They can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they could subscribe to MIT Technology Review. And once they subscribe, they would get access to my subscriber-only AI newsletter, The Algorithm, that goes out every week on Fridays. Ooh, sounds fun. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Walt. Thank you so much to Karen for coming on. You can find her at the MIT Technology Review and her newsletter, The Algorithm. Thank you to JT Fails for our theme song, and you can find Numlock at numlock.news. Thanks for listening.